Welcome to On The Hill Podcast. And we're back. Back on the hill. Back on the hill, man. Back on the hill. And today we've got a, uh, to me, a really special guest. I mean, I'm honored, man. And um, Colonel Dennis Roller. Hey, thanks. I'm, really, I am truly honored to be here. And uh, I know it's been a long time coming. We've been working on getting yeah, here for yeah, a while now. We have. Yeah. So I know you kind of want to start with a disclaimer, I think. Yeah. So <laughs> my standard disclaimer and any of my folks out there are listening, they're probably rolling their eyes right now, but whenever I start a mentoring session or a career uh, progression type conversation, I always start with this disclaimer, like anything I say today is the viewpoints of Dennis Roller, Dennis Roller only. Like I don't represent, even though I am an officer in the National Guard, I don't represent the National Guard in what I'm saying. I represent myself in my life experiences and although plenty of books, resources, things right. that I've read that have, mm-hmm. you know, got me to who I am today. Anything that I say, I own 100%. So gotcha. I, I don't represent anybody else during this conversation. And if you disagree with anything I say, that's great. And I welcome the conversation. So. Oh, dang. Thanks. <laughs> I know you said you want to, that's right. I forgot about that. You want to challenge me on a political thing. But no, we won't, I don't I, want to challenge you on anything political whatsoever. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to talk politics. No, no, no. It's, it's two <laughs> rules, right? Don't talk religion or politics. So by that disclaimer, does that mean we're safe from like, you know, the uh, Secret Service and these other groups? I would hope so. Hunting us down? I would hope so. Eric and I? I don't know. Yeah. Because you got connections, bro. We're just like two, we're just two jack legs, man, living out here in the hills, man, up on Happy Hill. I don't know anything. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But, um, yeah, so, I mean, this is, I guess I'll kind of start with how we met and then we'll just kind of go down from there. How's that sound? Yeah. Sounds good. So, um, we... Well, first we met down at uh, Petersburg Police Department. I started there in 1995, and you were already there. So yeah, I joined Petersburg PD in '91. Dang, four years. Mm. Yeah, and I got there. I mean, you were by that time, and and you know, by most standards, it's three to five years to learn a career. But you'd already been there what four years. So I looked up to you then, and uh, as a good source of somebody you could count on that was fair, um, you know, intelligent, not out to. Um, like hurt anybody just as a, just an all-around good cop i think you were on a bike squad back then yeah so i, I did do the bike squad for a while it's probably oh, one of the awesome. greatest greatest jobs i had uh did uh the crt team i think we were together on that for a while yes sir. and uh and then patrol so eight total years 91 to 99 wow so during that time you were in the uh you know army national guard then? Uh, army national guard yeah yeah so then I guess when you left and you said 99, right? That's right. And you went full-time in the Guard? I did, yeah. But you were enlisted then, right? I was. So, yeah, I was an E-4 in the Guard. And right when I left when I left Petersburg to join the National Guard full-time in what they call the AGR program, Active Guard Reserve Program, hmm. uh, I was an E-5 sergeant. Wow. So and that was uh, that was actually out of Petersburg, wasn't it? The, uh, what was that unit? I can't think of the... Yeah, so the armory was in Petersburg. It was 2nd Battalion, 111th Field Artillery was what the unit was at that time. Is it still there? No, the armory's there, but it's uh, a headquarters of an engineer battalion now. That's actually one of the battalions in the brigade that I command now. Right. So, I mean, how does somebody go from, I mean, I I don't know how how far, how much detail you want to go in, but to me, it's amazing that this is what, and we reconnected, but we'll go over that in a minute, but from an E4 
to a colonel almost sounds like, I mean, that's just almost seems unbelievable. Yeah, so take it back even further than that. So I, when I initially entered the military right out of high school, I, I was an E1. And wow. it was a situation where I lived with my parents and we were in Germany. Um, and my dad gave me that lecture like, you're getting out of this house. Right. You need to determine which branch of the military that you're going into because you're not going to go to college and fail out. Damn. You just need to pick a branch of the military and join. And so I initially went in the Air Force active duty right out of high school. So wow. the first time I came back to the United States from Germany since the ninth grade, uh, I went to basic training. So that was my welcome back to the United States was Air Force <laughs> basic training. So is there only one, was it Lackland Air Force Base? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Huh. Where is that? In Texas. In Texas. Yeah, San Antonio. So you were, so, okay, so how long, so you were in the Air Force, and I, I think we talked about this some off camera, but um, over the couple of weeks that we've been getting together, almost a month now, but. How long were you in the Air Force, and then what was your duties then, your MOS? Yeah, well, yeah so they call it AFSC in the, in the Air Force, but I was in for four years, hmm. um, and I was what they call an uh, airfield management specialist. So hmm. worked the flight plans, took care of uh, the airfield conditions, make sure everything was straight so the aircraft could operate on the ground safely. And I was stationed up in Spokane, Washington for about two and a half years, and then I went to Panama for a year and a half before I got out of the Air Force. Hmm. So you you were you grew up a military brat, so, I mean, you were kind of, you knew what to expect for the military life. Yeah, that's right. So yeah. it wasn't no shock to you, I guess. No. Uh -uh. Were so, both your parents military? Or no, my dad, dad was. So my dad was the standard 19-year-old second lieutenant in Vietnam, 1968. He went wow. to Vietnam. I was born while he was gone in Vietnam. Wow. My mom's dad was actually stationed in Panama, so my parents got married at 19, my mom got pregnant, my dad went to Vietnam, and my mom went down to Panama to live with her parents, and I, hmm. that's where I was born while he was in Vietnam. Oh, wow. So he was in the Army? or Air Yeah, he was in the Army. Yep. He did 20 years, retired as lieutenant colonel. Wow. So what is he, is that like, you get to take a couple jabs at him, hey, I'm a colonel, and you're... Yeah, no, I don't jab at my dad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Too much respect there. Yeah, I know. But, I mean, it's just, uh, <laughs> off, off the cuff, like, just kind of fun. Yeah. I got you. Yeah, yeah, I understand. But, you know, um, I saw a video the other day on social media where a, um, I think it was a Marine Corps female, and uh, her grandfather was like, he may have been either Korean or World War II vet, mm -hmm. and, and he saluted his uh, granddaughter. Yeah, that's good stuff. That was pretty cool. Yeah, He's like, I permission to speak. Yeah, and stuff. <laughs> That was such a great honor for him. So, yeah, I, 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 my dad, my stepdad was in the military, um, and both my grandparents and stuff. Uh, both my grandfather served in World War II and stuff, but uh, no, none of my immediate brothers or anything were in the military. So, yeah. but, but I still understand the military and much respect for it. So, well, your, your dad and I have something in common working full time for the National Guard for yeah. our career as well. Yeah, he was in the Air National Guard. Yeah, and he, he you know, he stayed enlisted, but he ended up being, what, a chief master sergeant of the Air Force, E-9? Yeah. Is that what it is? When he retired, yeah. And then they moved the whole base down from Richmond to Langley. So that base, it, it, the tactical wing still exists, but doesn't exist in Richmond. All right, so then you get out, and I, you, um, what was your interest in, and uh, how did you end up in, in Petersburg or back in Virginia? Yeah, so that's a, that's a really great question, right? We could go multiple different places on this thing, but the reality is I came back to Virginia, well, came to Virginia because that's where my dad retired out of. Okay. But Fort Lee. A lot uh, of people Fort stay here. Greg Great. Adams. Yeah. They stayed here for a while 
And uh, so when I got out of the Air Force, I thought what I would end up doing was I would come back, live with them. And then my plan was I was going to go to Virginia State, where you ended up going. Right. I was going to go to Virginia State, go to ROTC. I thought I would get commissioned there. Hmm. That plan didn't exactly work out because that plan relied on me staying living with my parents. Well, mm. when I moved back with them after being gone for four years, that didn't last for very long. Yeah, it's tough. Yeah. And, yeah. and I applied in Petersburg to the police department probably for all the wrong reasons. If, if you want to think about why should somebody want to become a police officer, right? it was probably all the wrong reasons. Well, I mean, how old were you then? Like 22? 22. Yeah. yeah. So at 22, we don't really know, have any idea what we're doing. So no. we're just kind of mm-hmm. bumping along. I'll tell you, so at 22, I thought being a police officer would be cool. That was number one. Yeah. Right? Because you grow up watching all these shows like Chips or uh, even Barney Miller for the, yeah. for the funny side of it. Right? So I yeah. thought all of that would be really cool. And um, that's the reason that I wanted to be a police officer because I thought it would be cool. In hindsight, you know, today you recognize that's not the reason why you should become a police officer. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we've kind of talked about that a little bit, like the, uh, particularly at that age, what 22 year old, what 22 year old has the knowledge to be a police officer, but on the same token, what 18 year old has the knowledge to be a soldier? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's pretty tough, man. Yeah. But I mean, what, for whatever you thought you lacked, I, I remember being, um, this young officer, I think I was a little older, maybe 24. When I started, but of course you were older, but I mean, I knew I was an imposter, but I mean, I remember being somebody, you were somebody I could look up to and trust with, with you know, what to do and your opinion and things. But I think one of the memories I had that was a, one of the funniest was, I mean, you were squared away then, at least you seemed like, you know I mean? Cause I know you were kind of hard on yourself and you said, you know, what did you know to be a, a police officer at that age? But Somebody had used that old car. You had a Caprice. It was yeah. like the old Batmobile thing. Yeah. Like, these things were huge, man. Mm-hmm. Well, I don't think it was a Caprice. Yeah, it came from the state police. But somebody had used your car overnight and left the window down. And um, you were – I've never seen you mad, but you were mad then. And um, <laughs> you were – see, in, in, in that time, there was either – you were part of the clique or not, and you were in with – you were in. You know, you, no, I never felt like I was in. Yeah, but I have you, never felt like I'm in any clique anywhere. Well, I mean, I, keep in mind, I'm not saying that you voluntarily got into the <laughs> clique. What I'm saying is they either liked you or they didn't. How about that? Is that better? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, the administration, like Rody and all them guys liked him, and Sidell and stuff, mm-hmm. and uh, Kelleher and all those. This is some old names of the guys. So the fact that, you're, that you were upset about your car, they were really serious about finding out who used it the night before, and it was like hell to pay. If, if somebody had done it, no, it won't me. Okay. Thank God. <laughs> but if it, it but if, if it had happened to me, it'd have been like, tough it up, man, just sitting there and get wet. But see, yeah. I don't, I don't have any recollection of that. But I'll also tell you that. <laughs> well, you got a lot of memories so, in between. I am, and I think this has to do with growing up in the military and moving around so much throughout my life, and and really being an introvert. But I don't ever really feel part of much. You know what I'm like? Right. When when you've perceive a group of individuals together, I usually feel as if I'm on the outside of outside looking regardless in. of how long that I've been there. Even today in, in, in the guard, I I don't know that I say that I'm part of the maybe the establishment or whatever you want to right. call it. I am a senior right. leader in the Virginia Army National Guard, but I my personality somewhat keeps me from feeling like I am fully yeah. uh, not that I'm not part of the organization. It maybe is a little bit hard to explain because to you from the outside, you saw something that you saw me very comfortable, I guess, in that organization. To me, I don't generally feel that way. It's just part of my, my personality. Yeah. yeah. No, I get that. 
Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I mean, well, two things. One, so what you're talking about is that. Uh, well, first, let me let me just jump back a little bit. So, um, we had lost connections. So when you left the PD, I never hadn't seen you again for been close to 20 years. That's somewhere around that time frame. And um, I was working at the academy at the time. I'm going to time out. You think that mic's good for him, or should we move it a little bit? Yeah, that's good. Is that better? I don't make sure you can see better. better. Yeah, yeah, you might be able to turn it to get more comfortable. There you go. Let me raise it up a little bit. Well, can pull it totally Technical out. problems. <laughs> so anyway, um, I just want you to be comfortable, that's all, and make sure we hear your voice. But uh, so anyway, I, I was the uh, class coordinator for, uh, I guess, for the 99th. That's 99, what I spoke to. Yeah, and yeah. I got in contact with a, with a guy that used to work with us in Petersburg, Earl Crawford. And uh, I was like, hey, you know how to get a hold of Roller? And, I mean, he was on it. Yeah, Carl Roller. Sorry. And, um, <laughs> I mean, I'm serious about that. Yeah, so he was able to get in contact with me. And I said, hey, man, you mind being the, the keynote speaker at our graduation? And then you came in. And that, that's what I was like. This is the same dude. So when I saw you back in the day, I mean, so imagine, the, so imagine being a young cop looking at a senior officer. You know, even though you had four years, but that was a senior also yeah, in Petersburg. Right. So yeah. I was like, he's already up here. I'm just like rookie guy. Yeah, yeah. Then when I see him again, he's a colonel in the Air National Guard, Army National Guard. I'm just like the same motif, man. You know? Yeah. You know, so I mean, and I was honored that you came, but not only did you come do the keynote speaker or the graduation speaker, you were the uh he came, met with the class at least three or four times, ate lunch with the recruits. I mean, it was a great experience for them. Yeah. I and I said it a number of times, but and I don't know if you'll ever know how how much that meant to me. I said it to you, and I said it to the class, but um, it, it meant a lot to me to be able to come back. And when you invited me and said or asked me to be the the speaker, I thought in my head over and over again at the number of ceremonies I've been to that had a speaker, and in the end, I won't say it wasn't memorable, but you didn't take away a lot from mm-hmm. from the occasion. And letting me come and spend, and it, it was four separate occasions I got to spend with the class, made it incredibly memorable to me. Mm-hmm. But I was able to make a connection, and I think when I actually spoke at the graduation, we were able to talk about topics that I had talked to the class on uh, multiple times while I was there. And I and I hope it had some oh, level yeah. of impact. No, uh, yeah, because I, I, you know, people that listen to the podcast, a lot of them are you know previous recruits or officers. So when I when I people reach out like what's the next ep- episode and i'll say you were coming on that class in particular because and people that were there so i mean they were excited about it yeah that, so you were able to get one-on-one with them before the actual graduation yeah it was it was great because the first day i showed up they were doing defensive tactics and yep. so they were in there beating the crap out of each other <laughs> and during breaks i would just you know kind of individually engage folks and then when they went to lunch there was the lunch bunch that hung out at the mm. academy that didn't go anywhere and we sat in there and it's generally the same thing when I go out and talk to soldiers. I individually engage folks and try to understand who they are, where they come from, ask them questions about themselves. And I got to know, I can picture every single one of the individuals in that class. And uh, when I got up to speak that day, it meant something to me yeah. um, on a personal level to be able to speak to them at the graduation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and the other part that added, you know, um, the personal touch to it and, and probably pressure for you was you were also standing in front of people that you had worked with back in law enforcement 20 years. Yeah. Previous. That, that was the other piece of it. Too. <laughs> so yeah. he had guys like, uh, the chief in Colonial Heights now, um, Billy Onspock. And I, he came out in my class So we both started in 90, hired in 94, started in 95, same class. But now, now he was the chief of police in Colonial in Heights. Heights. Yeah. Oh, wow. That's what he always wanted to be by the way. Yeah. Billy. Yeah. Yeah. He was, he was, uh, Anyway, I'll go over that in a minute. But, yeah, so 
you only had to, not only did you have the pressure of speaking in front of the class that you had helped mentor, and then you had to stay in front of people you knew. Yeah, well, and then some like uh, chiefs of police and that were in there that I didn't know. That yeah, that's obviously true. to me, and you, you know, imposter syndrome. You guys talk a lot about that, and that's obviously very real. But but to me, when I see a chief of police who's wearing the exact same rank that I do, I still. Yeah. I still see them as a very junior police officer from back in the day. Like, it's intimidating to me, <laughs> although we stand yeah. there basically kind of at the same rank. Same rank, yeah. Yeah, yeah but I, that's, that, that kind of goes to what you were saying a minute ago about um, you don't necessarily, even though you're a colonel and then, you, you know, you're amongst these people of equal rank, higher or less, you don't necessarily fit into the clique. But, you know, I was, we were eating, Shelly and I were out eating the other night, and I think it was Wednesday night. And there was a girl there, the waitress, and we see her all the time. And somehow it came up. I said, look like y'all got some new staff here. And she said, yeah, we do, but uh, it's a big turnover. But she goes, I've been here for eight years. I, I can't get out of it. And I'm like, so I'm like, you know, what, do you, what is it you want to do? You know? She said, well, I actually got an MBA, a master's, you know, business administration. She goes, but I'm, I'm so worried about being an imposter. I just, I can't seem to get out and, and take that chance. And I thought about it for a while. And, and before we left, I said, you know, you know, people that are humble, if you're humble, you're never an imposter because if you're humble, you you accept your inequities or your lack of knowledge in a particular job or a new job, and then, and then you're willing to learn from others. So that's kind of where you are, I think, because you yeah. said you're kind of an introvert. It makes you kind of humble. Mm-hmm. You're willing to watch from the outside. I know you're a, a commander. I'm not worried about that, but not everybody has that ability to, to see beyond, you know, their rank. And then anybody that questions it or has a different idea totally shut down. I don't see you being like that. And in fact, I saw you in action because <clears throat> after you came to the academy and we talked about you coming on the podcast, first you came to the house and we talked about it. It's where we filmed this. And then you invited me to your base over there. And I spent at least two or three hours there watching, you know, the people that you work with or work under you too. And um, it's just it, like I imagined it, you know, a fair, um, passionate um, leader. So, no, oh, I appreciate it. And you coming out was really, was really awesome. The, the team loved having you there yeah. <laughs> and, and it was really cool. I could see your eyes glaze over after about the thousandth, uh, acronym that you didn't understand while we were talking through stuff. And, uh, yeah, I was like, no, no, I'll listen. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, you got the entire state and then, you know, um, but it was kind of intimidating for me because I'm sitting there like I'm in there, you know, with all these officers, maybe I don't think, I don't think any enlisted people well, in a warehouse and stuff. Mm-hmm. But they were all such great guys, man. I mean, and ladies, but mostly guys. And I mean, I was intimidated. I was like the imposter. Yeah, I saw him that day when he got back. Yeah, he was like a kid in the candy shop. <laughs> saying he, you took him around and met a bunch of different. Oh people. man, those guys and, are awesome, man. But he did say that he was like, I just felt like you know, I'm walking around with the man, and I'm just yeah. tagging along. Yeah, I did. I did. I mean, it was great. And um, but I mean, that's. I think that's the whole part. You know, somebody asked us. You know, two things. One is somebody's like, well, look at us. Because everybody has haters in the world, right? People that hate us, you know? Sure. And they're like, you know, who is he to have a podcast? I'm like, this ain't about me, bro. This podcast is not about us. I mean, it is because we our name's on it, and it's my son's part of it, which what could be more important than that. But uh, it's like these stories are out there. And when you meet people, and, and um, you know, I mean, say, for example, the guys that work with you. I mean, it's such a, such a mix of people, races, different nationalities, and it's the best America has to offer. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, I mean, it was impressive, you know, in particular, like the old guy, the, uh, the maintenance guy, uh, uh-huh. Mr. Greitzer. Yeah. I mean, that guy was legit. What was his rank before he was a, uh, 
Uh, what's it called? Before he was a warrant officer? Warrant yeah, officer, I'm not yeah. sure what uh, enlisted grade he was when he was a warrant officer, but now he's a CW5, the the, the top of the crusty warrant officer chain. Yeah. <laughs> he, he was like a uh, like an old dude, from, like old school New Yorker. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, I mean, I'm walking with a colonel. He's looking across the base like, who's in my shop? And I can see him high stepping. I'm like, I got to stand behind the colonel. I'm like, all right, I'm just here watching, bro. I don't know. You know. Hey, but can we go back to something that you talked sure. about earlier with, um, I think you said she was a waitress at the restaurant. Yeah, that was something. Yeah, I told her that. Yeah, she, and I hope she listens to it. You know what and I mean? You were talking about um, what was her passion that she wanted to follow that she, she couldn't necessarily follow. You said she had an MBA, but. Yeah, she, what's it, her story was, was uh, even more interesting than that. And is that, all right, so like, <laughs> I don't get choked up over this, man, but it's kind of crazy. A lot of people come up to us and just tell us these, these things about themselves, yeah. my wife and I in particular. And uh, they were just, just genuine people. But she's like, look, uh, and we've seen her but never had a real conversation, let's say. And first she was a, grew up in a foster home, and she didn't know that she had a twin. So the people that adopted her about two years in, um, hey, how would you like to meet your twin sister? So then they adopt her too. Oh, wow. And then they are able to make contact with her older sister who is somewhere else in the state and reconnect them all. And then, and then over time, reconnect them back to their grandmother. Wow. Wow. Who still lives in Virginia. So, I mean, it's a heck of a story. So, you know, you can only imagine the many things that she has to overcome to, mm -hmm. you know, a day-to-day -day function for somebody who grew up in foster care. But she sounds like she was, you know, really lucky to, to have these particular people. But, you know, what we take for granted, so many people, you know, daily existence becomes a struggle, particularly if you don't have that family unity yeah. as a base. You know, she probably, I don't think she ever had a father figure, but so I, I, I'm not sure. I know she wanted to be a social worker, and then she said she um, ended up going into business too. So I, I can't remember what she got her bachelor's in, but. No, I hope she's able to pursue whatever that passion is that uh, that will drive her. And I'll tell you, I don't want to. Let's turn your podcast into the the Kate Styles promotional podcast, oh, but you know your your <laughs> That's interview, my girl, man. That's my girl, your bro. interview with Kate Styles was was phenomenal, and you know the takeaway I think from that, and it's kind of odd you talk to people, um, and it seems like all of a sudden you have these series of conversations that line up with some theme. The yeah. recent conversations I've been having, I even had two today uh with soldiers that i was with today and they were talked about and so these are guard soldiers so they have their guard career and then they have a civilian career right mm -hmm. but what they what they both talked to me about was in their civilian capacity they were following their passion like they found careers that aligned with their passions hmm. and there's a book that i that i read that kind of drives what i do in philosophies that i have it's by an author named simon sinek and you and I talked about this book is called Start With Why. And it's like, it's a lot about entrepreneurship um, and, and in the business world that if your business aligns with your passion and your why, right, you'll be more um, productive mm -hmm. in that arena, right? And so you talk, go back to Kate Stiles' interview and where she was taking pictures in the garage, right? So mm -hmm. she knew what her passion was. And when she finally decided she was going to pursue that, it shows in her product, it shows in her business, it shows in what she does. And people who genuinely know why they want to do something and follow that passion end up being incredibly, if not successful, but very happy in, yeah. in their careers. So. Yeah, at least fulfilled, right? That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah, so it's funny because, um, you know, we, we who thought about doing it as you or me? I can't even remember. The podcast itself? Yeah. That was, this is all your idea. 
Oh, thanks. I'm old, yeah. bro. I can't remember even coming up with this. <laughs> but, but anyway. No, I remember you came up to me and said, hey, can we – you want to do a couple shorts and some kind of – some sort of motivational uh, video or something. Of, yeah, you, know, yeah. you have the equipment, and we'll just put it up on Facebook or YouTube or something. And then then if that led into the podcast idea, and we had the microphones, we had – yeah, well, we, well, we had we, a microphone. Yeah, we, we invested in some of the stuff, yeah. And um, I had all the recording equipment, so we just said, I think it was one day we were like, let's just do a pilot, see what happens. Yeah, I think the pilot you guys did was great. Matter of fact, I think after I, I listened to the pilot, I texted you a picture of Big Enos and Little Enos from uh, Smokey and the Bandit, right? <laughs> yeah. And then every time I think about you two together, I think of Big and Little Enos from Smokey and the Bandit. Damn. <laughs> yeah. When I get home, I'll hit your mama right in the kisser. <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, Jackie Gleason, right? Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was sheriff. Man, yeah, I might be sheriff one day. <laughs> but yeah, he. Um, yeah, so Eric, you know, was talking about that. So when my kids went to college, it it wasn't necessarily like you know. So Eric, as, I just use him as an example. The young person following their passion was, you know, we said when you go to college, pick something that you don't that you're passionate about. It was music for you and dance for our daughter, because I mean, not only did we know from personal experience. But we also, you know, just just knew by life experience was if you're not passionate about something you do, you're not going to succeed. That's right. Mm -hmm. So, you you know, I can't send my son to college and say, take this because that's what I did or this is what I want you to do. And, you know, it was still hard because it's a hard program, the music program at VCU. But, you know, he did it, and I just wanted him to have a degree because a couple of reasons. One, we had paid ahead of time, this prepaid, but that's not really the real reason. The reason is because you get that additional knowledge you wouldn't have otherwise. And same with my daughter, Megan. But, you know, he was a teacher five years, followed the passion. But a lot of times what happens is, particularly in these arts programs, is um, they try to grind you down to rebuild you, just like the military, and you lose that passion over time. Mm -hmm. But why you think you originally went into the music or dance, in my daughter's case? You know, and and now the the podcast, because now he does, you know, he's like an HVAC apprentice, and... You know, but there's his goal maybe one day owning his own business, which that's the American dream. And he's actually almost more passionate about that than you are about. Anything. Yeah, I, mean, I was on Frankie today because we went, um, I picked up pretty quick. And the guys in my company who had been there for 15, 20 years, and that says a lot about the, the company too. Um, they, they liked, well, one guy, Rusty, he's kind of quiet, introvert. And he told me one day, he's like, He's, I like having you with me because you like to learn and listen, and I like to I like to be able to teach. He's like I'm not really a teacher, but you pick up on what I what I say a lot. So he I was with him most of the summer, and he, I mean, taught me more than more hands on stuff than I could I could learn now that I'm on my own. Um, but I was telling Frankie, my wife, today I, we worked on one of uh, his friend Russ's houses today this morning. I went and fixed something in his uh, crawl space, and I was like yeah, I was in, like eight o'clock in the morning in a crawl space on a Saturday just working on something and still stuff I had to figure out and fix that I, d- I didn't know was wrong with it before we got there. And I got home. I was like, yeah, I was never thought about it as work when I was there. I was just kind of like, you know, I like tinkering with stuff. I like, yeah. so you're I passionate like fixing about stuff it. and yeah, I didn't see it as a job. It was just, well, so let, let me take control of the podcast for a second. <laughs> okay, man. We, <laughs> we need let, some help. Let, man. let me ask a question. Why, why did you start teaching? No, so I've been listening to all these podcasts. So y'all don't have to educate <laughs> me, but so much on all of this yeah, stuff, that's true. right? So, but answer this question: Okay, why did you start teaching? Um, I knew I wanted to help people, and 
the first avenue I saw was I liked music. I liked helping people. And I, my, my, something I get for myself is, is it being able to sit down and talk to someone and not educate them in, in necessarily, but to help them and make them feel, you know, better. Or if they're going through something just to listen, I think I'm a pretty good listener. Yeah. And, um, so when I was, I remember in high school, I was like, well, I, I like music. I like to help people. And actually when I was in high school, I was a drum major. So I had that leadership role as well, mm-hmm. my senior year. So I got to see, you know, I, I can do this and i it's something I, you know, if an opportunity arises, I I could be in that role. So I just went that avenue and put those two together. And I was like, well, music teacher. Okay. So why did you stop teaching? I stopped teaching because it was, uh, yeah, I'll get that in a second. Um, I stopped teaching because it was less of that one-on-one interaction that I wanted. Um, and it's not just my county or my school, it was you know, 30 to 35 kids in a classroom for 90 minutes at a time. And there was no real one-on-one interaction with one teacher in the room because you're dealing with behavior issues. Uh, you're dealing with, um, you know, you kind of got to meet in the middle with the kids who are behind the kids who are learning faster. And, and it got to the point where the administration was backing up the parents more than us. Mm-hmm. So we were kind of just, I don't want to say babysitters for eight hours a day, but it, it took it took the music out of it and also took a lot of the those those teacher moments that you have and yeah. I, I had plenty of them but it got to the point where I was I was over overweighed by the the discipline so you had some naivety going into teaching about what the environment might be mm-hmm. and once you gain more perspective then right. um, you, you recognize that uh, Maybe that wasn't the path that you wanted right. to go down because of too many of other competing interests that got in the way of what you actually wanted to do. Yeah, it wasn't exactly what I pictured it being. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, that's, and well, don't don't get me wrong. I I, mean, I put my heart into it, and yeah. I I always gave one hundred and twenty percent because, and especially with music, you're putting on performances every couple months, and you're uh, you're critiqued by what the kids put on, and you're judged by what the kids do. And so for me, I was like, when we put out, go out, I'm going to put on the best show we can and get them prepared as best as I can. And I can say, like, not bragging or anything, I, I don't think we ever had a, a bad performance. Um, but I did have to make, you know, there was times where, you know, the kids really wanted to do one song, and I was like, ah, we're not doing that one because, you know. Wasn't ready or something. They weren't ready, yeah. I didn't want to put them in that position. And um and when I left a lot, I had, I saw people today saying, saying, you know, I, you know, I feel bad for the kids. You don't get to teach and, yeah. and almost putting me down for getting out of teaching. But I had a, you know, for my mental, my own mental health, I think it was the best, hmm. best option for me in a, in a selfish way. What are you thinking of? Well, no, you and I have talked a lot about perspective in the yeah. past, right? And about as you grow through, but I'm just wondering, like, is there still something missing Mm-hmm. For you, that was that initial passion and drive and desire to to have that ability to develop people mm-hmm. in, around music. Is that missing in your life, and are you doing anything to put that in if it is? Um, well, I think the music side of it was mostly the my creative side, and I think I could have taught math. I could have taught anything because the good thing about me is, is I have this equipment, and I actually play more music and 
do more with music than I did as a teacher because I yeah. wasn't doing it full time. I'm not doing it full time now, I should say. Um, and the podcast is an outlet for me to to touch on that editing creative side I like. So honestly, that my personal preference of music and what I like to do has gotten stronger now that I've stopped teaching because I'm I get home and I didn't want to think about mm. picking a up an instrument. instrument yeah. 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 yeah, Um But it's funny you say that because I. You meet you meet these kids and you get a connection with them and I mean you really they kind of become a, a family because you see them every other day for a, you know for my case I saw them for two years at a time um, so you kind of watch them grow and you guys have bad days and good days together so I do miss that part of it but with my new job now um, I can't tell you how many people because I, I I like to conversate anyway and I can't tell you how many people I go to who are crying in their house just talking about whatever. You know, I lost my son, I lost my husband, and I feel like I get to touch in a lot of lives now because I go to four or five different houses a day. Mm-hmm. Some people, you know, they're like, hey, it's over, it's over there, and they, I don't see him the rest for two hours. But So he's just like you. You recognize that. Do you see yourself and your son? I imagine you do a lot of times, but you know what he's describing right now? Go ahead, no. Is you as a police officer. Hmm. Because, yeah. so... And, and here's what we used to we used to talk crap about you all the time, back in the police department <laughs> days. The same thing that people are talking about him right now is like, come on, Liverman, get the call done and get on to the next call. Yeah. This is what same thing we used to say about you in Petersburg. Come on, Liverman. Yeah. But you became a police officer, in my opinion, for the right reasons, oh, and because you. you spent a lot of time with people. Yeah. And where the rest of us were like, hey, I'm ten eight, I'm out, I'm gone. This call's done. Let me check this one off. I got to get to the next one. Yeah. And and we used to think about you always took so much extra time. <laughs> and sometimes that was frustrating because calls are backing up, but Liverman's out for twenty five minutes on a call. Yeah. But the reality was you were investing a lot of time in people. And I saw that passion in you then. I saw that passion in you at the uh, police academy when yeah. I was there and talking to the recruits, they all had so much respect for you because you personally engaged with them. You have made, um, you've had great effects on people throughout your whole entire life. And I know what you're doing now. Yeah. You're having great effects on people. And I, and I respect that more today that I know you these days than I ever did in the police department because you frustrated <laughs> me back in those days because we just wanted you to get on to the next call. Yeah, um, that was but, funny, yeah. But I, I think that. your passion, and I think you both have this same thing, it, it's about engaging with people, and that's why I like with this podcast because right. you guys are engaging with people. You get to know people. You just described um, when you were at the restaurant and, and and people come up to you and Shelly and just give you your stories. Well, why? Because you're welcoming. Because yeah. you are genuinely interested in people. And that's a strength that I see with both of you. But if I call your AC company and they send you and I'm number four on the list, I'm going to ask for somebody else because I need somebody to get to my house quicker. <laughs> yeah, if you're number that's four. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, thank you for the compliment. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, two things. Number one. I mean, my son and my daughter, and of course my wife, but I mean, that's it. I mean, we, we wrapped ourselves around our kids. Like, um, I mean, if I don't talk to him every day, I'm, I'm jacked up, man. You know what I mean? And I'd probably drive him crazy and my daughter, but we're, my wife and I are both that way. So, <laughs> and I'd probably drive their, 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 uh, spouses crazy. But yeah, I mean, I, I remember, uh, people used to freaking hate me, man. Like remember Sergeant Richardson? Oh yeah. John Richardson. 
that bastard hated me, bro. I mean, he, he's my sergeant, and same thing. Like, what are you doing out there? What is all this? Because they didn't care nothing about it. So, I guess you know wh- what I was doing then is what they're really doing now. Because you know, well, maybe not so much now because I don't have many officers. But back when I started, you were measured by the arrest you made. That's right. And if you didn't make mm-hmm. a felony arrest, they, right. nobody even gave a crap. They're like, man, what are you? You know, you were uh, soft or. I had these little round glasses and stuff. They're all like John Lennon and stuff. Man. <laughs> but that's so. If I think about today, I think about the people to me that I like. If I was in, a, if I was in a hiring capacity in a police department, what would I be looking for? Well, I wouldn't be looking for Dennis Roller, who grew up overseas, um, moved into an apartment in the city because he knew that that would he stood a better chance of getting hired. So he claimed he was a city resident because he just moved into an apartment. Right. That's pretty smart, though. Um, I would be looking for Randy Batts. I'd be looking for Emmanuel Chambliss. I'd be looking for people who are vested in the right. community right. and actually want for the long haul to make the community yeah. better, safer place, right? So those are the kind of people that to me, um, I don't know, I think back about myself in that eight years, not that I didn't do some good, I imagine. And it shaped me a lot in mm-hmm. my life and who I am today, that eight years in the police department is a whole lot of positive experiences. But I was never really there because I felt I was part of the Petersburg community and I, and for the long term wanted to, that, that's a horrible thing for me to say, but that's yeah, I mean, not why I was there. I was there mm-hmm. because I was on the bike squad and it was really cool to ride bikes and because I was on the SWAT team and it was really cool to be on the SWAT or CRT team because yeah. it was really cool. And that's why after eight years I went to do something else because I wasn't there for the right reasons in the first place. So. Well, I mean, you know, don't be so hard on yourself because uh, a lot of people didn't want to live in the city because it just, this is the uh, condition of the city. You follow me? Well, I didn't grow up there. I think yeah. that's, you know, that's key. I didn't grow up even in this area. Even right. you have ties here to this area. I, I didn't. Yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, um, I don't know, man. I, I know what you're saying. I know exactly what you're saying, but I wouldn't feel so bad about it. I mean, you you are there putting your life on the line for total strangers. That's about the biggest commitment as you can make. Yeah. yeah. And it was no doubt if if something was going down, you would have bust through the door knowing you may be killed by you know, somebody who, who doesn't mean well. So that's a commitment that a lot of cops make, you know, but I know what you're saying about the people living there. Like, you know, Randy Bats, you know, if he doesn't live in Petersburg, he lives right outside of it. And I think Chamberlain still lives there now. Yeah. I mean, they've given their whole lives to that community. So. Mm-hmm. Well, Bats by giving a lot more. So, so I don't so ask you the same, <laughs> I'm going to ask you the same question <laughs> that I ask um, little Enos over here. Like, why did you go to the Academy? Oh, why did I go to the Academy? Well, I mean, I wanted to get back. I mean, you know, and, you know, I was thinking what he was answering was, it's one thing, you know, so it, it, I had a bigger message other than, let's say, firearms, right? But when I taught firearms, for example, or DT, for example, because it's step by step by step, my favorite students weren't the ones that knew how to shoot already. They were the people that didn't know how to shoot at all. You know, like, or say we had, a, a particularly in the jailer academy, we had recruits that may have been victims of domestic violence because the majority of the jailers mm-hmm. were mostly female. Yeah. And um, some of them were victims of domestic violence where handguns may have been involved or they may have witnessed, uh, you know, violence with handguns. So yeah, we've had, we had uh, recruits there that, you know, were female. And because females are more open about that kind of stuff. But, uh, you know, like, I'm, I'm, I don't think I'll be able to pass. I'm terrified of guns. I don't even want to hold a gun. But when we were able to, pass, you know, teach them the process. So two things. One, the process of mastering a tool, which is a firearm, and they could pass the uh, the score, that was a big success for us. Mm-hmm. But the bigger success was um, that, you know, I'm a recovering alcoholic. 
I went through a major depression, you know, as a police officer, but has had some issues prior when I was younger that kind of came back to haunt me because I probably didn't deal with them, you know, until later once I was already a cop. So all the mistakes that I made, I didn't want these people to make the same mistakes. Yeah, that's right. So what I would do is, you know, I would I would follow this protocol, you know, somewhat within the uh, the rules of the academy. But I tried to go beyond that because they were pretty, you know, slack, and they still are. But um, in in the midst of all that, I would expose myself to the recruits as human right. and, and making all these mistakes. And I'm like, if take it from somebody who went down to the bottom, you know, about as low as you can get, and who had to rebuild themselves, you know. So I think if if I gave anybody anything. Uh, well, I can't say what's more important because being able to defend yourself is probably about as key as it gets mm-hmm. for survival. But I, I think it was a passion to um, connect with people at a level that I don't think, you know, I'm not bragging, but I mean, you have this natural connection with people. And if you can touch them in a way that's going to make them better or and, and, and as, a, as a person, then as a, a, the ability to survive in an encounter, you know, that's real. You know, and I think the realest thing was, Two things. The other, well, the third thing is this. I just told them the truth. Close your eyes. Pretend somebody you're gonna have to, may have to take some. First of all, are you prepared to kill somebody today? Are you prepared to take somebody's life? That's number one, right? Because mm-hmm. you may have to do that. You may have to take somebody's life as a police officer. And um, and I'd ask them to, you know, close your eyes. I think uh, Carbonette did this to us. Picture the person you got to encounter, and then you know you got it's a good shot. You got to take it's a clean shot. There's no question. And you go around and ask people who it was. But they never pick an 80-year-old person who has dementia. They never pick a 14-year-old kid who's in there shooting up a school mm-hmm. and um, or a lady who's bipolar or, or you know, uh, whatever, schizophrenic. And, and you got to do these things. And are you prepared to do that? So that's pretty much it. Yeah, so think about this. And you said the exact word that I was thinking of. You said expose yourself, but you made yourself vulnerable. You And then you were willing to take your life experiences and you and I are the same age. I think we're both 55 now, right? You 55. Yeah, you look a lot better than me. Well, that's always been true, but I mean, <laughs> pretty much we have these life experiences and you see, I've completely turned my focus this oh, way right boy. now. He, he so, got the psychological. So, <laughs> I'm closed off, man. I'm like, I don't want to. Sh- so <laughs> we, so we have these life experiences and I think at this point, like if, what we're not willing to do is to take those experiences and give back and at least try the best that we can right. to take the, the challenges, the obstacles, the things that we've been through and, and lay them out in the open and say, hey, if you're struggling with these types of things, I've been there, I'm willing to help you. Right. And so that to me, and I'm kind of jumping way to a whole other place, but that's what's important about this place in life right now is, yeah. and I, when I talk to soldiers, I say a lot of times, these are things that I've been through. Um, I've, I've been through divorce. I have a lot of alcoholism in the family, drug abuse in the family, um, suicide in the family. Mm. So as we take these obstacles and things that we've been through, what my passion is right now and what I really enjoy is actually connecting on an individual basis, just yeah. like you have been taking those experiences and giving any little tidbit of information that I can to make life a little bit easier or to give some lessons and tools to other folks these days. So part of my leadership philosophy right now and what I do, I almost call myself a cheerleader because all what I'm, what I do as a commander is try to help younger folks 
identify obstacles that they have in their life mm. and then find ways to overcome those obstacles so they can be as um, successful as they want to be in life. So how do the uh, other commanders see that in you? Because they're watching you and then they're looking at themselves like, what the hell are they doing? Is, it, is that kind of like what other people are doing of the same rank or a little bit less or you don't see as much of that? Oh, like my, my peers? Yeah, your peers. Well, yeah. My, the great thing about what I love about maybe just not the Virginia Guard but the Army as a whole, right, we see each other as peers and, again, not in competition with each other, but we share ideas with each other to compete together right, to make the organization the best that it can possibly be. Mm. And so I got a lot of 06s um, that are fellow commanders uh, along with me. And the great thing is we do share ideas and we have enough respect for each other um, to work together to make each other better every day. It's it's, it's pretty cool um, dynamic, right, yeah. that everybody's working together. Um, to help strengthen everybody else. So. That's good, though. I mean, when I picture the Army, I don't picture it like that. I picture it, you know, like a lot of competition. Because um, I wasn't in the military, so maybe I'm yeah, wrong. I mean, yeah. I'm picturing it off of movies or, like, you know, the show MASH or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you, had, you know, you know, but, I mean, I know people that have been in the military and, um, you know, maybe, I don't know how many officers I really know that are, you know, the same rank as you, but. Well, so I, so what I won't say is that, Everybody subscribes to what I'm saying. Right. That's okay. Well. And as you progress through the career, mm-hmm. you you grow, you change. I'm, right. not, I'm not the same person as a colonel as I was as a captain. Right. Well, right. I mean, it makes or sense. Or as a major, right? I've Life experiences have made me uh, wiser, if you want to mm-hmm. use that word, um, introspective being introspective and looking right. at myself and understanding where my flaws are at and deliberately taking steps to make those better right. um, has made me more mature in my thought process. Reading books like, um, there's a book called um, Primal Leadership. And the book Primal Leadership is all about taking the emotion out of what you do hmm. and, and, and owning your emotional posture instead of allowing emotions to drive your actions, understanding, right, that you have control over how you respond to your emotions. Mm-hmm. And when you take emotion out of leadership, you're able to more um, calmly and effectively lead and provide feedback. Like I can all day long enforce very high standards and do it in a way that's unemotional. Hmm. And it's a whole lot more effective that way. Yeah, I, saw, I felt a lot of that in teaching. When I first started, everything felt personal. And you get going and you're, you feel like the bad guy all the time. And, but it got to the point where you kind of put on a act, not that you acted, I mean, you, I would get mad. I'd get aggravated, but you'd show, I mean, you'd put it forward and the kids are like, Oh my God, like he's, he's really serious right now. Mr. Leverman's mad this time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, And then your head, you're just, it's just another, uh, you know, Yeah. anybody that knew, that knew me, a lot of people know me as, when I was a major and I was an executive officer, I was a completely different person than I was as a battalion commander. Some of that was I assumed a certain role. Right, right. And that comes back to, right, the, like the imposter thing. Well, I thought an EXO was supposed to act in this certain way, so right. those are the things I tried to do. Yeah. Um, now, as an 06-level commander, I have a different personality in how I address things. Sure. Well, you know, you got to... Well, I mean, I think you just summed it up, and it's kind of what Eric was saying, too, is we assume different... if. Well, not let's, let's lay this out a little bit. So not everybody gets what we're talking about. Yeah. 
I mean, there's people, and there's nothing wrong with them. I mean, it's just a different personality type, or it's just, they're just a different kind of person. You know, I used to say there's people to recognize, this, watch the sunsets, and people to never even see a sunset. But the sun's always setting. They just never watch it, right? right? right. So if, if you're smart enough to know, or if you're wise enough to know, you put on a different mask at different times. Mm-hmm. You know, as a father, you wear a mask. As a husband, you wear a mask. It's, it's still the same person. But, you know, you, you got to assume these different roles. And that's something that, particularly with police officers, they take these things personal. You know, and, and particularly with this younger generation. So if, if you're whatever, you know, uh, I don't want to go down this road, but, I mean, if everything somebody says to you as a police officer you take personal, you're going to have a long day. Yeah. You're not going to make it. You know, and so in the academy, as an example, I would push people and say things controversial just to, on purpose. You know, and then they'd go run to the you know the director or whoever their agency, and they'd come back with these crazy things. I'm like, I'm doing this on purpose. You realize that was purposeful. Yeah, I didn't like yeah. call them names or nothing like that. But the point is, you do that to expose them to that kind of that kind of um, pressure, and, and the, when you can remove yourself from the situation, and think about it, somebody's trying to injure you as a police officer, physically injure you. They're saying a bunch of things to you, but if you can if you can separate yourself from that. And realize that they're also they're, they're mad at the badge or the authority. They don't know you personally. Then you can gain better control of your emotions and make better decisions. Mm-hmm. Now, how do you teach that to somebody? When you and I were in the academy and, and probably you know in the military stuff, they're like, "Hey, just suck it up, man." That's right. Hey, I'm, I'm feeling I feel stressed, Sarge. What's you know what's wrong if you suck it up? You know, it's like that's not okay. How do I suck it up? What yeah. does that even mean? So that's kind of something I did talk about: breathing control, positive mental. Um, Lifestyle, positive diet, sleep is when you can get it, uh, positive outlook, recognize the victories when you have them. And uh, when you get back home, you know, be um, be thankful for everything you have. Yeah, that's right. But if you don't have that, if you don't recognize those things, you take them for granted. And then all of a sudden you stand there, you know, um, you think you're alone, but you're probably not. But you don't know the strengths that are around you. And some people don't have that. Some people don't have anybody. So, no, I do know that was not the way that I was raised. You were probably raised differently, but the way I was raised was you put your head down, you drive through. It's it was it was suck it up. It's like life yeah. sucks. Deal with it. Drive on. Um, and then you just kind of buried everything inside mm-hmm. of you. And you just kept plowing on day after day after day. You just keep on. You keep on driving on. It's obviously a lot better when you understand every life event has some kind of recourse on you as a person. And if you understand how it affects you and you can deal with it better, then that's great. Um, yeah. Probably better than just putting your head down and driving through. Yeah. They definitely weren't raised, you know, I mean, they were never allowed to just quit stuff and, and not finish stuff, but I mean, they weren't, we try to tell them why, you know, when you could, now that's not always the case. Cause it might be, you know, don't do this because that's what it is. Yeah. Why yeah. is that? Because I well, said so. Yeah, that's you know? right. Because yeah. sometimes you, you just, if you're, you know, there is no time to explain it and there's no explanation. I'm your parent. But I do think what you were saying earlier, the ability to, to listen and like we, what we're doing right now, we would do all the time growing up. Like it wasn't just like, what'd you do at school today? It was if we, they, both you and mom could tell something was, was yeah. up. Like I, there was plenty of times where I was like, upset about something or something was going on i you know i was like i'm not going to tell him and as soon as i walked in the door he'd be like what's going on what happened today i'm telling you it was like immediate and then it would just turn into this we're just talking i and believe there wasn't many quiet moments in the liverman household girl hell no, no. <laughs> well well you heard in the episode you heard tommy's uh my my daughter's uh, husband his first exposure to the livermans he's like what the hell are these people doing yeah that was crazy man i mean we don't always do this stuff like that but there is no 
Yeah, we don't hide. We, well, that that there's a picture right there on the wall. You can't see it by Jordan Peterson's like slay the uh, dragon in his lair. Um, if you hold these things inside, they'll destroy you. You know. Yeah. Yeah, and I was exactly. raised like you. I mean, my stepdad, my my parents were divorced, but my stepdad. I mean, nothing wrong with him, but he was very um, that same thing. I don't. He want to hear a bunch of crap. Just press forward. Yeah, yeah. But what we did, and what Frankie and I do now, and I did when I was a teacher, was we never left without resolve. And it wouldn't be a hundred percent resolve, but we never tried not to go to sleep mad. We never just stormed out if we were you know, arguing about something or something happened, we'd always sit there and almost like decompress and talk mm-hmm. about it. There was always, there was always a talk no matter what. And sometimes that was like the worst thing was like when, you know, like dad would be like, all right, come here. We'd go into the room. We'd have the a talk. Imagine it took a while. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like, you know what I'm saying, bro? Like, let me, let me lay this by you. Let me lay this out for you. He's like, God dang. Oh, I got it, man. Now hang on, man. You sure? Yeah. <laughs> hey, can can we go down another road? Dude, you're, Can we go down this place though? Um, and, and talking about when you're connecting with, um, you didn't call them candidates. What'd you call them in the police department? Recruits. Yeah. Recruits with the recruits. Um, and, and talking about e- emotional intelligence and understanding how can you be there for somebody else? So okay. there, there's one thing about connecting with folks, showing them how to, um, help themselves and be resilient. Mm-hmm. But what what kind of lessons did you give about how to support other folks when they were going through things? Was that a topic that you ever mm-hmm. really delved into? Well, I mean, I think uh, to answer it is, I mean, it's a good question. You know, when you answer a question with a question, you're trying to think. Mm-hmm. It's from the read <laughs> you interview. To buy take. yourself some space and edit yeah. it out later. Yeah, no, <laughs> I think that, um, I think, you know, two things. One, you... Um, What's the word I'm trying to think of here? Not display, but you 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 show by your actions speak louder than the words. You know what I'm trying to say? So, um, you know, the first day in, you know, you just they can't talk. Don't talk to them. Don't get to know them. But as you as you get to know them better, and and one on one, you 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 actually show the people or the recruits how much you care about them. You know, you, you know, I'm yelling at you, dag on da 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 da. I meet me in the office on the next break. And then you sit down and like, hey, man, what's going on with you? You know, something else is going on here besides what you're doing here at the academy. Are you something going on at home? You know, you, know, you got a situation with your wife or your, your parents or whatever. And, and then you you make yourself available and you tell them, you know, and that's I was going to say something you did was at the academy was here's my personal cell phone number. Call me anytime. You know, it doesn't matter if it's after you graduate, keep that number for as long as you live and call me. Mm-hmm. You know, I do this. You know, I did the same thing. But you know, I think you know, you you would watch these conflicts build within the class, and and you try to resolve them or have them resolve them. You know, and um, emulate what you're trying to do with them to help them help each other. Now, you know, it is a good question, and and I think one way I did that was when you're an officer in a community, you need to know the community and the people that live in the community. So if you work in Petersburg, you need to know all these things about the city of Petersburg. You know what I'm trying to say? Mm-hmm. Know that it has the highest teen pregnancy rate in the state, the highest single parent uh, family rate in the state. The schools are unaccredited. Um, poverty is at this particular level. Know your community, know the people, and then you can start trying to make sense of why they're doing what they're doing. You mm-hmm. know. And the other thing I would do is this, is when I sued the agency of the city, nobody came to help me. Nobody. 
Not one also stepped up. Now somebody said, well, hey, liver must, Liverman must have been a pretty big piece of, you know, piece of crap or whatever. But what it was was they were terrified because they knew whoever was equated with me would mm-hmm. be dealt with like they're part of, of me. So, you know, I, I, the thin blue line, we like to say that a lot, but, you know, we don't do a very good job of looking out for each other. So I think I pressed that home hard is like, yeah, you be here for each other because this, this thin blue line, which is, you know, I'm not saying it's not real, but when the shit hits the fan, not physically, but when when an officer's down or they're, or they're depressed or they're having problems outside of the job, we do a pretty bad job at mm. making sure they're okay. So make sure you do reach out. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how to answer it, but I mean, I think that's about it. No, but the place, yeah, the place that, that I was going with this and, <laughs> and, and you hit on it now is you can't go down the same road at the same place as the person that you're trying to help. Right. Right. It kind of comes back that emotional control and talking about, police officers and the ability to keep it unpersonal. And the only way that you can really help somebody in the community is understand the community. Right. But at the same time, you can't get e- emotional as they are about those types right, of right. situations. No, right. That. Yeah. So that you have to stay from a place of um, a little bit removed from the emotional part to be able to help folks get through things sometimes. So mm-hmm. No, I agree with that. Yeah. And is that okay? Look at your screen. Yeah. You guys can go. I'll just exit out of that. That's good. Yeah, so I think the other part of it is is when you were talking about and I don't I think that we were at your base for some reason. And um the amount of training you guys get at, at different levels talk about, you know, kind of what we're talking about now, which is, you know, personal and as far as your personal health, mental health, physical health, and the training that the army provides. I, mean, mm-hmm. I was surprised at that. Yeah. Because, you know, I don't know about all agencies, but um as far as local, you know, I don't know about Chessfield, Richmond or um Let's say Henrico had their own academies. These regional academies aren't talking about any of this kind of stuff. And it's kind of a shame. I mean, we, they gloss over it, but to me, that's the most important part of it. Yeah, yeah. And I talked about that at the uh, at the graduation, ninety yeah, uh, yeah. 99's graduation, right? And what I thought was really cool, we had this whole conversation about their class motto. And their class motto was, right? And there was a whole lot of controversy behind this thing. Above all else, we go home. Yeah, yeah. Well, that wasn't their first motto, but go ahead. Well, that one. And and when they talked to me about it, they said that they were kind of upset because they got, yeah, they got chastised about that, that the sense that the, some folk got from that was, well, I'll do anything I got to do to get out of this, uh, you know, to get out of my duty day and go Uh, home. Right. And so I relayed this story that, and my wife is one of, she is my biggest hero and she's taught me so much. But one thing that she taught me was home is your place of peace, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. And so what I said to them that day was, I completely get your class motto. I think it's beautiful because what you're saying to me, what it said was, above all else, I'm going to find peace. And so they're yeah. going to drive through the day. They're going to do exactly what they need to do. They're going to handle situations the way they need to be handled. And at the end of the day, they're going to be at peace with that. And if if you take all of those experiences that those individuals will see on a daily basis and you take all that home with you without being at peace, your home life is not going to be good. And right. if your home life isn't a place where you can find peace, then they go back to work the next day and you're still in turmoil. And it's over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's so incredibly important. My wife has stressed this with me so much that the home has to be a place of peace. 
And so whatever we got to work through, yeah. right? Whatever we have to deal with, however we have to deal with it. And I have a lot of trauma and stuff from life, a whole lot of stuff that I've been through. I've, I've got diagnosed with, with PTSD from a number of things. But the reality is I've got to deliberately work on those things that are bothersome to me that takes away peace because at home we have to have peace, and that's very important. Yeah. So, I, I was really proud of them for coming up with that. I thought it was really good. No, that was good, yeah. And they, they, they kind of, yeah, well, first of all, like, I mean, this is kind of taking me back. I don't know if we should even talk about it, but, like, somebody was, like, trying to mess with their class motto. Could we put it up on the on the wall? Like, they were mm-hmm. going to take it down. I was like, you don't touch anything in this freaking classroom. <laughs> if you come yeah. into this classroom as an instructor, you don't you don't touch anything in this freaking classroom. No. You don't touch anything that's 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 our that's our thing. But what they really caught hell was, and it's kind of like you know you you push them to see how far you can push them in a sense, and then you build them back up. But like their first model was, I want what I want. <laughs> I don't like that one, but uh. yeah. well, they didn't like it either. But I gave it for them. Oh, okay, okay. Because they kept they were individuals; they weren't a team yet. I'm like, uh, okay, so basically, you're, and it was like a, some kind of song. I kept li- I was listening to the radio on the way to work. I was like <laughs> that morning. I was like, oh. Hmm. I think it's a tool song. You know, he's like, I want what I want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, damn, that's a class motto. And they were pissed about that. They wanted that one taken down. Yeah. Because every instructor they, that came in, they're like, what is this? I'm like, oh, that's their class motto. They had to work to get it taken down. Yes. Uh, yeah. I got you. That's good. Yeah. So they came up with, you know, uh, above all else, we go home. And, and some, you know, some, let's just be honest, man. There's a lot of cops that they're not brain surgeons. All right. And, and they're like, what is this? You know, but see, Two things um, about us sitting here right now. You haven't mentioned anything about your military career. You've been deployed and all these other things. We're sitting here talking about this other stuff. Like, that's nothing. Mm-hmm. That's something I say about you, man. I mean, I, mean I, I was, like, prepared to have this thing laid out. We do, Tell me about your deployments and all these things. <laughs> you know, and that comes with wisdom and, and um, being humble, man. You know, um, the bigger message is what we're saying now is how, how do you become a better person? And it's not something you think about when you're 20s, or that's why. That's why you try to look at yourself back in Petersburg in your 20s, and like, why did I think what I think now? That's that's impossible. No, it is. You're exactly yeah. right. Yeah, there's yeah. no way to think that way because you don't. You're not built that way, mm-hmm. and uh, nobody is. You know, you may have some inkling of what it should be, but you don't know. You know, and um, so now you want to look back. You know, and, and and how do I make things better for the people coming along? And, and the other well, part, the, the harp, the harp. I was gonna say, and you're over top of the what you were back then as well. You're looking down at these younger guys, right, right, yeah. And you used to be in their shoes, and you're either you know guiding them in what could be the right direction, and yeah, using but, your own. Uh, well, that's what I tell you. You learn from everybody, right? Yeah. You either yeah. learn what to do, what not to do. Yeah. But the fact is that you're learning in every, or you should be learning through every experience that you have in life. And you should be taking every opportunity to to take in every single event that you go through and then rethink through that mm-hmm. and determine, like, number one, how could I do it better next mm-hmm. time? Uh, or, like, how did this experience grow me? And then how can I take what I've been through and help somebody else in the same exact situation? Yep. And I, being very general about what I'm getting ready to say right now, um, I learned something about a soldier today that hmm. something that they're going through in their life. One of the leader, uh, their company commander came to me and said, Hey, so-and-so is going through blah. Right. And so these folks know a lot about me cause I've been very, um, open about myself and things that I've been through. Hmm. So I went to him and I put my hand on him and I said, if you need to talk to me, call me. Now hmm. this guy's a Sergeant. E, uh, and so, and I just said to him and he looked at me and he said, 
and he smiled. He said, what are you talking about, sir? And I said, hmm. what you're going through. And he put his head down and he said, yes, sir. Hmm. And, and we had a connection. Yeah. He understood that I knew what he was going through. And he also understood that even though I'm multiple levels above him, that as a human being, he could pick up the phone and call me because I have something that I could possibly help him with, with mm-hmm. what he's going through. So, that meant a lot to him, I'm sure. I, I hope so. Yeah. yeah. And that's yeah. what I, I, I was going to say this earlier, but what you said, when you, what you, one of you said earlier, when you went to the um, graduation, you said, call me if you need, need me anytime. Yeah. He's, he told our class that. Yeah. Yeah. I, I noticed as a, I say as a teacher, when you're trying to resolve something and you're only with them for X amount of time and something happens and you want, you want to resolve it and you want to help them. And when I first started, it was like, when the kids, you know, it's probably when, you know, if you're talking to anybody, like, I don't want to talk right now or, you know, Mm -hmm. someone's not ready. But if you give them that opportunity where I would send a kid outside and be like, you know, when you're ready, you know, if you need to talk to me, I'm here. And 90% of the time they would, without me going back to them, they would come up and say, hey, can I talk to you real quick? Yeah, yeah. Because it gives them time to process maybe what they want to say or what actually, you know. Yeah. No, I agree with that. I mean, I think what people miss is that everybody wants to be heard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the problem with like young people is they think they need to be heard right that instant. You know, it's like, bro, <laughs> take it down a notch. Middle of class, not the time to hear your complaint. You know, but they're they're kids in in, in Eric's case, but uh, even these recruits or even the soldiers. I mean, that's that part of that discipline they got to learn. But the other part is if you don't have if you can't share your ideas with somebody else, that's how people have problems because you know we all have bad ideas and and then once we were able to process them through other people, then we can decide which are the good and which are the bad ones. You follow mm-hmm. what I'm trying to say? Oh, yeah. Yeah. So in your case, like let's say you're, this soldier you were talking about that you gave him that message. So he, here's the company commander. Or, I mean, I'm not trying to say the wrong uh, term, but yeah, I'm telling you as your, you know, as your colonel, you can call me. I'm going to try to help you. Mm-hmm. That's huge because I, I don't think he probably doesn't see it that way. He probably mm-hmm. sees you as a colonel. He's like, hey, that guy's bad, you know. I can't look weak. Or, yeah, I can't look weak or, you know, he thinks I'm a piece of, you know, what or, or whatever. Who the hell knows what he thinks? But, I mean, that opportunity exists. And that, that could be something that could change his life. I mean, one interaction with somebody can change their freaking existence. Yeah, it, it can, right? It, if you don't. I mean, if you don't ex- extend yourself. Now, you know, you may extend yourself ten times. Maybe one person out of ten comes to you. Okay. Well, that one person. You know, and it, we always hear that, like, you know, that admit, that people don't think that's true. But it, it is true, you know. No, I think it's it. You know, talk about return on investment. Yeah. If what yeah. you're investing is just authenticity, I authentically am here yeah. for you, right? That's that's my investment to say to a group of people, hey, these are the things I've gone through in my life. I'm here for you if you want to come yeah. talk to it. And I have found that just being authentic and open, the return yeah. for me and for the individuals who have talked to me about stuff has been, has been big. Cause it's rewarding to me. Mm-hmm. I said, well, I suffered through this, this, and this. If what I can do is then pay back yep. that suffering for somebody else. So they don't have to go through it quite as much. Then it's rewarding to me and it's rewarding to them. I think it's a very Christian principle, right? Yeah. I think there's something very, read my mind. <laughs> it's very Christian <laughs> in, well, the question, well, why do I suffer? Like, yeah. Why, why mm-hmm. would God make me go through these things and why would I have to suffer? Well, you know what? If in the end it's to help others, then, right. then, then it's worth it, uh, I think. Mm. Well, it's like Saul Paul, man. He used to prosecute and watch the murder of Jews, right? Mm-hmm. And this is in the Bible. And then he became Paul. And, yeah. and on the road to Damascus, right? Yeah. 
then he can say, now I was blind, but now I can see. Right. I mean, that's the whole that's the whole process. Everything you've just been talking about, I'm a 22-year-old, I'm worried about myself. I progressed through life, not just the military and the ranks, and all of a sudden now I was blind back here, but now I can see. Mm-hmm. Now, now what you choose to do with it, that's up to you. That's right. That's if you right. don't give back, then shame on you. That's right. There's plenty of people that don't, but there's plenty of people that do. And if you just watch the news, you would think that most people don't, but that's not true because – in a country of 350 million people and we're still functioning, mm-hmm. people are giving back. Yeah. Now, your, um, your way of leading, is it something that you've, is that what's developed over time or is there, was there someone you looked up to that? That's a good question. Yeah. Yeah. So there've been a lot of people I've looked up to. Should I go all the way back? I looked up to Big Ed Jones back in oh, the no police doubt. department. I'm trying to get him but, on the podcast. Man. <laughs> so if, you, if you can talk you know, to him, get him on here, man. You know, no, I, Man, it's got to be a compilation of everything from good and bad all put together. Yeah. Um, I think back to even um, when I was a younger commander, what was important to me was to spend time with individuals. And you can't, I can't do that. I'm the commander of 1,700 people right now who right. come in one weekend a month. And so it, it's a lot harder for me to engage at that level. But what I've seen is just being, um, call it transparent or whatever you want to call it, like just being a real person mm-hmm. um, gets, re- I won't say that people respect you because you show that you're a real person, but you can connect differently. Even when I speak to a theater full of three, 400 soldiers, right? And what I think is as I'm speaking to them, I'm connecting with them because it's not just, I just don't come in and brief thing. We talk about real life stuff mm-hmm. and, yeah. and I take questions and I stay after. And, um, I, I think that, I don't know, I have a hard time answering that only because I don't want to sound like, I don't like to, uh, maybe it's my humility or whatever. Yeah. I don't like to, yeah, yeah, yeah. um, but it is a compilation of life, you know, at, at 55 and everything that I've seen. And obviously I still make mistakes, but I've had the ability to sort of to shape my leadership style. And like, like I said, this is what I believe. I am, and I always tell people uh, when, I, when I talk to them, we, my unit wears a certain patch. We have a patch on our left shoulder. Mm-hmm. I am the most senior person out of 1,700 and some odd people that wears that patch. It's my mm-hmm. responsibility to number one, set the right example for all of them. And number two, to make sure that I do everything I can to remove any obstacles so they can be the most successful individuals that they want to be. Hmm. If you want to call that a style, but, but that's my leadership <laughs> philosophy right now yeah. is that um, if, if they want to be successful, I want to help them get there yeah. and I will, and I will cheer them all the way through it. Yeah. And, and that, that's pretty much my style right now. That's good. But where does that come from? I don't know. Two parts, this person, three parts, that person, yeah, four yeah. parts, uh, yeah. you know, somebody that I didn't want to be like. And so I deliberately did different things. And, uh, yeah. But uh, when you talk about, you talk about this, and I, and I try to tell folks too, like, when we have expectations of people that there's no way that they could, that they could live up to, hmm. there's no way that I, as an 06, 30-year individual can turn to my company commanders who are captains and generally in their 20s and expect them to see things the exact same way that I do. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes leaders get mad mm-hmm. when the folks that they lead aren't at the same level right. as they are. So you can't have 
unrealistic expectations yeah, of, of the people that you're leading, yeah. right? Because yeah. that leads to frustration, impatience, then people don't learn. And when you recognize that they can't be there, then you can spend time at their level where they're at. You can meet them where they're at and help to, to yeah. build them. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah, meet them where they are and it makes sense. Yeah, because that's exactly. I mean, I was, I was thinking about that earlier was when you talk to somebody about a particular topic or something you expect of them, you can't expect them to be where you are. That's right. And people do, you know, and, and we get mad. But that comes with wisdom, too. It's like you get a little bit older. But it, it don't have to be a – I mean, some people just get people, you know. Um, I mean, I kind of got people even when I was a kid. I don't know if it was a survival mechanism or whatever it was. But, I mean, I could read people pretty good from the jump, mm -hmm. you know. Mm -hmm. You know, and, and that's cool, but it's also bad because a lot of times you can see through people instantaneously. You know, and I won't say it came from cop training, but I mean, it definitely, that has helped. But I mean, I, I kind of, even as a kid, I could see through people. And I was like, damn, that joke was a, now I wasn't always right, but yeah. I get better at it now. Yeah. All right. So I don't know how long we've been going, but something we got to cover is, uh, and, and you kind of touched on what it is really, because this always happens. I mean, I mean, uh, I think he was on here before we didn't even talk about. I got to tell you what meal I'm going to have. No, nope. uh, no, nah, we might. Yeah, but no, nah, that's not. Nah. <laughs> before we <laughs> ended up, so we got to. <laughs> now we. I'm not saying we're done yet, but what I want to talk about is like your wife and your kids and all yeah. that. I don't want to leave that out because if that happens, you'll be in trouble, bro. So I mean, to what hell were we talking to? I'm like, damn, we never even talked about your wife. I can't remember who the heck that was. It don't matter. But I remember it. Was it? No, I can't remember who. Oh, was it a uh, Stanley? Yeah, Stanley, the, the sheriff. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, he didn't yeah. get a chance to talk about his fiance. I'm like, uh, we yeah. better go back and talk about your fiance. <laughs> yeah, well, that's well, a whole... Was her, his biggest hero. Yeah, well, that's yeah. a whole other podcast. I could sit here and talk about my wife and her accomplishments and yeah. what she's done for me, um, what she's done for our kids. And, um, it, you know, when you meet somebody that completes you, yeah, right. you're, yeah, you're fortunate. Yeah, and and so, my wife has been able to. You know, we say a lot of times we say your spouse is your rock. Um, my wife has been an individual who was able to stand by me in incredibly rocky times, hmm. um, and provide me that peace. And, and solid foundation that I needed as an individual. When I, the divorce, when I, when I got divorced, um, it was very bad divorce. And that's a whole other topic that we could go into maybe at another time, but, yeah. um, caused me a whole lot of trauma, um, caused my oldest three kids a whole lot of trauma. But the reality is on the other side, my wife, when she fell in love with me, didn't a hundred percent know what she was getting herself into mm. um, because yeah. I had so much going on inside of me that I needed to work through. Mm -hmm. um, but I went with that conversation we were having earlier about how do you help people to so the main read, the main way that my wife has helped me all of these years is she doesn't and hasn't deep dive down with me into those right. emotional, really bad places that I would go to. Mm. My wife has been very much, um, so if I was down in a hole struggling with something, she's not going to get down in the hole with me. Right. Right. And so I would end up burying her in that hole if she ended up doing that. That's right. Yeah. So my wife would support me by staying out of the hole and saying, 
You need to figure out what you got going on. Right. And then you need to work yourself through it. And I'm going to be right here when you get up to this place again. Right. And uh, although I tried many, many times to drag her down into the dark abyss of those, uh, yeah. you know, dealing with depression and other stuff that would try to drag her into these places. And the way that I got better was being able to get myself out of hmm. that hole instead of her trying to get down in there. With you. Yeah, and get yeah. me out of it. So, so, you know, I know you heard of Jordan Peterson, but what he says is, like, his philosophy, because he he's a psychoanalyst and a psycholo- psycholo- psychologist, is like, it's like a lifeguard. Mm-hmm. You wanna, I'm going to save you, yeah. but, I, but their philosophy is I feed out. Yeah. You're not going to drown me. We're both not going to drown. That's right. I'm yeah. going to help you, but I'm going to feed this, the water and this, the rescue stuff to you. That's right. Yeah. You can grab it, but you're not going to drown me in the process. Yep. So, and that's a great philosophy, man. So, and she knew that instinctively. So, yeah, she has a level of strength and emotional um, intelligence that I've never had. I I grew up and still am a very emotional person. So, I've had to deliberately figure out how to help myself with with being emotional. Hmm. Um, my wife, on the other hand, is more deliberate about how. Uh, hmm. Not how she operates, but how how she is. She studies situations. She watches things. She's not the kind of person that goes to a car dealership and buys a car the day that she's there. She's the kind of person that will watch the situation, kind of study things. She's much more methodical than I am. Mm-hmm. I'm the kind of person that would run into a car dealership and find the first car and think it was the greatest thing and buy it and run out that day. Um, Sound like me too. <laughs> I got, yeah. I, but I've gotten a little bit better at that. <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, you sound like my wife. I mean, most women are smarter than guys, we hope. You know, not every woman is, but, you know, so, I mean, you were you were lucky, and I was lucky, and he Eric's lucky. Um, well, his, I always his, say I married up, like, oh yeah, I, that makes me the smarter <laughs> one in the yeah. relationship yeah. because yeah. I married up. But yeah, um, no, that's good. That's good. That's a good way to put it. So my wife is also uh, in the National Guard. She is also a colonel. She's an O six. She's commanded at the company and battalion levels, and right now she works in the Pentagon. For the vice chief of um, that's what I'm saying, of right? the National Guard, yeah. she could have us taken yeah. out at any time. <laughs> so I was like, "That's why I'm saying, are we safe?" <laughs> you know, I, I know you, I'm not want to keep anything serious, but yeah, I mean, this part of the podcast to have a little fun. But so I, I'm thinking, like, she's at the Pentagon. She's like, "Okay, hat on the hill." Okay, okay. Yeah, <laughs> they're probably watching so. us from the satellites right now. No, like, bro, I don't think so. you know, they probably got bigger so. things to worry. They got the drones <laughs> overhead, man. <laughs> now it's. <laughs> We had the guy on here that's going to be the next podcast. And he like, a, uh, what's it called? Do not disclose? Uh, Non-disclosure statement. Non-disclosure. <laughs> Whatever. You know, this, I mean, he's going to see this at some point. Maybe not. Who cares? But it's like, bro, you ain't that freaking important. What the hell he thought he did <laughs> as a contractor? He was a contractor mm-hmm. for, uh, I can't remember what the company was. What, what uh, Blackwater, some other name. But I can't remember. He's like, I think I can talk about it. It's like a non-disclosure. I'm like, bro, are you serious right now? <laughs> But I mean, I, I'm sorry, I went off topic. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's impressive. So well, then, you wanted to talk about my wife and and, and you want me. Well, I then would. you have two daughters too. I mean, well, you got three older kids from your first right. marriage, and you got and you got that's two right. daughters. That's right. We got a five year old and eight year old. Man, oh wow. Yeah, kindergartner and fourth grade. Heck yeah, bro. And uh, and they're 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 awesome. I bet. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, we have five kids all together, and. Uh, Oldest daughter is a, she's a paralegal at a law firm hmm. up in uh, Northern Virginia, master's degree, dual master's degree from George Mason. Dang. Uh, oldest son's got a master's degree from George Mason. He works for Deloitte as a contractor. And then uh, 
youngest son is in the Navy, stationed out in Tennessee. Wow. And wow. then we got the big gap, and, and then we got, got the, the eight-year-old eight year old and, uh, <laughs> and the five-year-old. So. Yeah, I mean, it's, I don't know, man. I mean, it sounds like a pretty good life. Life is great. Yeah. I mean, life it's, it's life's not going to be, you know, it's just like when people say, you know, uh, I'm searching for happiness. And I think that was something I didn't learn as on my own. Like you said, I've, I've learned two things that really helped me lately is podcasts. I've always liked books, but particularly the podcast that you can be driving anywhere and you listen to hours and hours of these things. The people are so smart, man. And they're so kind too. Um, but you know, the other part of having you on and having anybody on that, you know, and I mean, we somewhat kind of choose who we do or don't, but I, we really want the positive, a positive message. Yeah. I mean, now, I mean, even when I had, you know, Evan Jones on, there's so many negative things that happened to him. We didn't really go into them in mm-hmm. detail because it's just not, you know, you don't want to uh, make other people look bad. But, but I guess what I'm getting around to is it's not about happiness. It's about purpose. And that's everything we've said in here mm-hmm. the whole time. So if you, if your intent is good, you should be fine. If, if your intent is bad, and we all have that. We all have bad sides of ourselves. I'm, I've made more mistakes than most people, I'm sure. And, um, you know, but I'm still going. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm willing to learn from them and try to be a better person because of it. But well, yeah. come, come back to this point. And when I talked about that book earlier, it starts with why. Like you just said about purpose. But if you always ask yourself, like, why? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Yeah. And so I, and when you see people in relationships or, or in their marriage sometimes and you, you have to stop and ask people sometimes, like, why did you get married in the first place? Like, you hear people complaining about their spouse and stuff yeah. all the time. Mm-hmm. Or, like, um, I don't know if I can say this, but at, when we, I had a photo. I booked my wife for a photo shoot with Kate Styles. Here we go promoting the Kate Styles. Did you, did you again, ever get right? to meet her, by the way? I did. Well, yeah, we had uh, Juanita had her photo shoot last week with Kate Styles, and it was amazing it was awesome but you got to meet her in person yeah yeah, she was there yeah yeah yeah, she was really cool i don't know if you were there or not yeah yeah but part of the conversation was sometimes uh that husbands would say well i'm not spending that much money on my wife to hell with that like i'm not doing that and so then you got to go back Mm -hmm. and ask yourself like well why did you get married in the first place (laughs) i got married to serve my wife that's it like i got married because i want to do for her and i think Mm -hmm. many times and that may be the way it starts guy falls in love and you know hey i want to live my rest of my life with this woman i want to do for her and mm-hmm. it changes and then we get so self-focused yeah that um you forget why you got married in the first place and i know with everything that you all have been through at 100 percent certain you know why you married shelly yeah and you have been there for her mm-hmm. the whole time yep and you two as a team work together through this thing called life yeah. well i married my wife because it, that exact same reason yeah. because i want to do for her i want to be a servant to her mm. sometimes i lose that focus because yeah. i focus more on myself but then i ask myself well why did you marry this woman in the first place yeah. no, right? yeah, that's real and it's because i love her and because i want to live this life with her and we want to make each other better and yeah. i want to serve her throughout the rest of my life and i think it's a beautiful thing so, yeah yeah I, no, I, I, didn't, I was kind of, I didn't know how to say this earlier, but you kind of led to it was part of my decision to change careers was, was that, cause Frankie and I, we've only been married since April, but we've been together for almost 11 years now. Is that right? I think yeah, so. Yeah. yeah. I'm old. Yeah. It has been 11 years cause we met in college, but, uh, part, part of that was, I was, I had to give in my own head a hundred 
you know, 10, 20% to my job because in my head, I, you know, I didn't want to fail the kids. I don't want to look like a failure either because I have that, that pride and the product we put out. But a lot of that stuff I'd bring home, I'd say after work and, uh, you know, she was that rock for me and she was always, you know, super supportive of it. But I knew I was pulling, not us, we weren't pulling, I wasn't pulling her, you know, myself farther apart from her, but I was, I could tell that I was kind of bringing her into that hole a little bit. Mm. And, um, in my own head, it was, it was something I knew, you know, once we had kids and everything else, I wasn't sure if I could make that barrier when I got home. Cause I brought so much of that with me from work and, um, it's probably just the type of person I am. But, mm-hmm. um, once I made that switch, like it's completely almost hasn't 180, but kind of back to the point where I can, we can be at home and completely relax. And I'm not you know, worried about the next, you could come home at the end of the day and be done in a sense. Yeah. But well, you, you and, know what you just, what he just did was cognitive behavioral uh, yeah. therapy, call it therapy, but yeah. an understanding of how you operate, the things that you can do cognitively to change that. And you just said it was a 180. and it's like very small things in life. Once yeah. you recognize them can completely change your life. Yeah. And, and I had a, conversation the other day where I finally realized, um, and we, we talk about, it. I mean, I'm, I got on medication for anxiety, um, and anxiety, depression. Um, I know it started with you and Megan, you guys openly talked about it and I was like, yeah. and I was considering myself happy go lucky, but I would always put that wall up and I struggle with just stressing about the smallest little things. And I just thought that was life. You know, right. you wake up with pit in your stomach every morning and you know, thinking about everything before you went to bed and I got on medication and it's, it's changed a lot of that. And I still stress about stuff and that never goes away. But I, I, I can't remember who I was talking to, but we talked about no matter what you do, um, you're always going to find something to be something wrong with, um, whatever's going on in that moment. So I remember I used it, the example when we went to Turks and Caicos was like the best vacation we've, you know, you could imagine. But every day there was always something was like you had a disagreement with somebody or you're like, oh, man, it's, it's really hot today. Or you always found something wrong with what was going on. And I think in all aspects of life, you could be in your worst place, your best place. You're always going to find something to complain about. But then I also reversed that and said, no matter if you're having the best time or the worst time, there's always something to celebrate. Celebrate. Right. Yeah, you're that's alive. Right. Yeah. So that's kind of helped me, too, with you know, long days at work or, you know, everybody tries to look forward to the weekend, but there's plenty of times during the day where I'm, you know, I'm sitting outside and just peace and quiet and you're just sitting there like, man, this is awesome. You just get a little time to yourself or you get to talk to somebody and, you know, and to yourself, you help them through whatever they're going through for those two, two, you know, five minutes or whatever. So mm-hmm. it's like finding the small mm-hmm. victories. And Well, I mean, there's one thing about being a, a parent too and, and, once you become a parent, you live, you know, and I mean, it could be for your spouse too, but particularly once you become a parent and um, mm-hmm. you know that your life, you're not the number one reason you're alive. And hopefully you figured it out before you have a kid, but some people don't. And then, and you did. I mean, but, you know, particularly with your wife, you figured out what your purpose was in the relationship. And you knew that because she helps you and then you were able to give back. But his his wife, uh, her father passed on last Christmas and, um, mm-hmm. uh, so you, you you were in a situation you still are where you're trying to help her and then, and you were able to say hey I'm I'm, I'm gonna put myself second necessarily to, to make sure I'm there for her mm-hmm. so 
I mean, it, that's what this whole life's about, man. Yeah. If you and but it's, uh, keep in mind, there's some people never see that ever. Like we were at a guy's house this morning. His daughter dates this this guy who's a you know they have a baby together, not married. And he's a he's a first rate, you know. He puts her second to everything he can do. And I was like, that's not life, bro. Yeah. You don't have to settle for this knucklehead, man. And you don't have to settle for life in general, but you got to sacrifice. And that that's kind of what the hill's about too is, you know. Carry your burden, pick up your burden, and carry it and climb the hill, man. Mm-hmm. And you know, I see you know you being on the show. I'm hoping that this builds a you know this is kind of when I'm, this is kind of uh, out of nowhere, but we're building a collaboration of things that we can we can go bigger and bigger to help more and more people. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm gonna use you because you're better looking. You'll be like the poster of the show. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, before we before we wind it up, I mean you're obviously be coming back, right? Yeah, I look. I would love to come yeah. back. So yeah, we'll, 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 I think this was just the pilot. <laughs> well, I think it is because you know the colonel's got so much to offer. And, well, uh, I'm no Doctor Greenberg, but uh, oh. you know, I, <laughs> I, I, I give what I can <laughs> give. So. Now, he's actually a pretty smart. He's very smart. That was a really another great podcast. You know, you know what the crazy part is? He and I become great friends. Yeah. You know, we talk all the time now, and he he, he almost misses it if I don't if I don't text him or something. He's like, "Dude, what are you doing? What's wrong? You all right?" Because <laughs> I always looked at him as a doctor. Yeah, I don't think he could be my doctor at this point because it's probably too uh, too close. Too, too many connections yeah. now. Yeah, but he he is he really is smart, man. It's amazing. So I mean, if you wonder what your life is on the path, the fact that I get to sit here with you, man, and when you came into that DT class that day. He looks kind of reminds me of my brother Jeff in a way. Doesn't he kind of remind you about him? Yeah. And and I was sitting there, and he came out of nowhere. I knew he was coming, but I didn't know exactly what time. And I was, I got like, I couldn't speak. I was like, uh, uh. I was a loss for words. Was just, that never happens? And the people in my class were like, what the hell's wrong with him? Like, Bro, I thought my brother was standing right there. It just freaking took me to a whole other planet, man. Anyway, we'll have to edit this part out. No, well, but we we say this all the time. It's like not many. There's not many times you get to sit and talk like this. Yeah. Well, this, and just this time of age where people are on their phones or whatever, but yeah. they just sit down and talk for an hour, an hour and a half is kind of it's unheard of. Unheard oh, of. I told you, I've always, I always loved talking to you. The last time we were hanging out in, uh, in the living room, just you and I, I yeah. probably could have sat here for the, there for the rest of the afternoon and probably should have recorded that one. That was a good one. But, uh, <laughs> well, yeah, I think so before we wrap up, I do have to do one thing and I wanted, to, cause I really thought we would talk more about the national guard in this and, and we didn't. And that's okay. Cause I think we talked on some really relevant and some important well, points. Can, but, can you hang on one second? Is that is that out of batteries? Is it out? It's okay. It's so, okay. I want to. Yeah. <laughs> well, I want you to be able to talk about the guard. Not as much. No, as me. but so, I'm sorry, I cut you off. Go ahead. No, I just want to make sure you're able to give your message. I mean, it's real. I mean, uh. well, what I what I really want to talk about is for for folks that maybe are not really familiar with the National Guard. Right. Yeah. You know, and and you asked me earlier in the podcast, like, how did I get to where I was at? And that's a whole other story. But you know, the National Guard. Um, outside of the fact that they have, we have great benefits, serves the community in a way that really nobody else does. Hmm. Um, part-time service uh, for the community in a, called when needed, mm-hmm. right, by the governor. Yep. And unlike the reserves who don't have that exact same mission that we do, but it is about the only part-time job that you can have that is actually you could consider it a career because in the National Guard, which is for the most part part-time service, you can 
advance in rank. You can advance in position. You develop yourself. You have a career roadmap. Uh, there's not a whole lot of part-time jobs where you can get promoted up through the ranks. That's true, yeah. And although I work full-time for the Guard, I also have my traditional position. So as a commander, that's my traditional position. I work full-time every day as, as the senior logistician for the state. But um, there's my, my sergeant major, who is the senior enlisted person, in my organization, so he's my 09, my command sergeant major. He's an assistant chief in Hampton. Hmm. So oh. those two careers together, which he, they started at the same time as a very young police officer, he was very young in the guard, they have paralleled each other. Wow. And yeah. each has benefited from each other. So, and, and the guard's got great benefits, and I, and I, I try not to promote the benefits so much because to me it's more about the service, but through providing that service... Um, you definitely get the benefits that, that the guard has. But it, it's just incredibly important. Number one, we're here for the community when the community needs us. And you probably don't even recognize that within your neighborhood and everywhere that you live, there's guardsmen that live there. Mm-hmm. And when called by the governor, when needed, we respond and we respond in a way that um, is, is very well respected. Yeah, you know, right. if you listen to the news and there's a snowstorm or a hurricane and you hear on the news, well, the governor's activated 200 National Guardsmen. That's 200 individuals that went that were taken away from their everyday mm-hmm. normal lives and brought in to make sure that they can assist in any way that we possibly can when, when there's an emergency that happens. Um, that fills me with a great level of pride. No, that's real. To know that there's, and in the Army Guard, Virginia Army Guard, there's 7,000 soldiers in this state Wow. that at a moment's notice are ready to do whatever they need to do for the Commonwealth. And we, we have a saying, it's called guard what you love. Mm-hmm. So if you love the Commonwealth yeah. and you want to um, provide a service to the community and you want a, another career that can help you in whatever else you're doing, the guard's an incredible place to be. And I've enjoyed uh, about 20, 25 years in the guard, 30-some wow. years altogether service. So, so yeah, that's, yeah, I think, you know, so the Army Reserve is like a national... But the, the Virginia Army National Guard is, I mean, either you could go overseas and serve in, in right. combat, but you actually your initial uh, service is to the state. That's right. And you work at the uh, the pleasure of the governor, essentially. Yeah. And, yeah. and the reason we're able to support the state so well is because of our federal mission, because we are trained on the federal side to do the jobs that we do. We're able to take all that training and help support the Commonwealth when needed. Yeah, that's- yeah, that's, I mean, I think that's big. I mean, and you know, and, and I'm sure anybody who's listening to this, they understand that because they hear that on the radio. Yeah, you know, the governor's activated mm-hmm. these people. And like, just a personal note, like my parents, they have they had, they lived down in Claremont, and the uh, hurricane hit and destroyed everything down there. And the uh, Virginia Army National Guard was activated, and they were down there for I don't know over months, or several yeah. months, just helping clean up. And uh, well, and they did it fast too, and they were professional. Mm-hmm. It was it was a they, they did a lot. Yeah, well, we like what we do, and that's why we do it. Yeah, yeah, that's big. Well, I mean, I hope that. I mean, are you guys having a recruiting shortage, or? Well, you know, it's always a it, it's always a struggle, in, in these days, um, because you hear about it, you know, in the you know, the news. Yeah, you you hear a lot in the news about the army in itself not meeting its strength goals, the the guards not meeting its strength goals. I think you know. COVID had a lot to do with that, and it, it sort of changed some of the posture about employment even. Even yeah. standard oh, yeah. employers are having a tough time filling yeah. positions that they have right now. 
we're, we're doing okay. I think we have a really great organization. Um, we're probably a little bit off on our numbers, but uh, it's not anything to be concerned concerned yeah. about. We'll, there's always going to be that, uh, you know, some people will get in it and then they'll decide, well, this is not for me because right. they don't really know until you get in there. Folks are going to continue to retire. They're going to do their 20, 30 years. They're going to retire or they're going to go on to um, other things. And there always will be a, a recruiting pool that will need to mm. be pulling in because you just have that constant turnover all the time. So what's the requirement? Uh, pretty much like the military in itself. Yeah, it's the same exact requirements. That, uh, okay. that what's, the, what's the oldest you can be? I think... Yeah, don't quote me. It's either 32. I think it's somewhere around 32. I guess I'm out. I'm out. Oh, yeah, you're way out. <laughs> you're a couple of years you're way out. out. But, uh, I'm trying to get into the thing, man. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, I, yeah, that's one thing I wish I had done. Was I was going to go in the military. I think you heard the podcast. Yeah. But, but, yeah, I wish I had. But, I mean, I certainly admire people that do it. I mean, 100%. Oh, yeah. The guys are the tops, man. My best friend was in the Marine Reserves, but he did it for, I guess, six-year contracts. Mm-hmm. The, yeah. Yeah. And he... He his he was ready to get out, but when it came to it, he was like, "Man, I don't know if I can do it." Like he was so attached yeah. to it. He but, was in um, the uh, Marines. He was out of there. Uh, there in uh, anyway. Yeah. So he did that for six years, but yeah, yeah. His, his mindset was the same. He if they called, he was yeah hundred percent. I always try to talk to soldiers all the time about don't think of it as a six year enlistment, a four year enlistment. Think of it as a career. Yeah. And no matter what you do in the civilian side. This guard career will will help in what you're doing on the civilian side, mm-hmm. and vice versa. That's the, one of the strengths of the guard. That, like when we deploy overseas, you might have a a guy who's a truck driver, but at the same time he's a carpenter on the civilian side. Right. So he builds stuff and whatever. Yeah. Or you, you've got a female who's a military police officer in the guard. Right. But on the other side. She works in a bank or something. Yeah. And we, we bring multi-talents to yeah. um, any mission that we're on. Well, I saw that with the people I met that day. You, you had me on the base. I mean, so that was, I mean, that was, that was I mean, was, I was like, man. Yeah. There's a lot of great people there. Well, that's what's cool about JC was he was a radio <laughs> operator. But because of his military background, he got a job at, a, or uh, now Ab- he's at Abilene. Abilene, yeah, Abilene. Yeah, driving trucks. Mm-hmm. And, and then... Once he started, once he got a CDO and he spent time on the road, when he went on the weekends, they would have him drive the Humvees and stuff. Yeah. So it just like bounce yeah, back and forth. Bounce out. I mean, and now a, he's got a higher position at Abilene um, because of his background. Yeah. He chose that as, you know, his, his career now, but it, it worked. It worked for him. Yeah. All right. So you want to, um, so you definitely, so we're going to hold you to it. You're going to come back. Maybe we'll, um, I know you want to be, um, more specific on what we were going to say or not say, but how we were going to plan it out. But yeah. I think this worked out perfect. Yeah. It's a great conversation. Yeah. I don't think, yeah, that's what we like about it. It's kind of an open format, but I think we could touch on specific things. And I think I want to have Greenberg back. We'll just pick a topic mm-hmm. and let him you know, roll on it. You know what I mean? Yeah. You could like, you could pick leadership or whatever and just kind of go from there. But I, I, so I was, I was trying to outlaw this question, but I guess people like it. The question you always ask at the end. Oh, the, well, he's, he's thought about it. <laughs> hey, what do you think about the question? Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's a tough question. But I mean, go ahead and ask I mean, the question. I, I have an answer. But, um, I mean, don't, me, don't, say a, uh, like, don't say a MRE, all right? It's my, <laughs> yeah, it's, I think you see it as a goofy question. It, it says a lot about a person for me. 
in my head. I, no, I don't think it's goofy. It makes me sad. You know, like, you know, this is your last meal. Like, <laughs> well, what if, what if yeah, I change it to what, what's your favorite meal? How about yeah. that? Yeah, if you're on death row, what's your last meal? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's just like, I was like, it makes me sad, man. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, so let's not be sad. Let's just say. Like, what's your favorite what, meal? What's my favorite meal? It's anything that my wife cooks. Oh man! And I, no, and that's not like a sappy sort of thing. And even even as the the kids, they'll tell you we we should open a restaurant because mom cooks so mm, good. Dang! But I, so if it had to be specific, it it would be, um, you know, like chicken fried chicken. Come on, like oh, yeah. If she made she makes these uh, breaded chicken breasts, and, damn, and they're incredible. Um, or her uh, drumstick chicken, yeah, uh, drumsticks that she Ooh. cooks are. Just awesome. Yeah. Now, how does she fry them in the pan? Or is yeah, I don't know. Okay. Don't yeah, but you know, but so I'm like the sous chef in the kitchen for the. She just tells me like, <laughs> Oh my god, can, can you cut these things I'm up a, for I'm me? I'm gonna clip that piece and show it to Frankie. I say that all the time. I was like, I'm just your sous chef in yeah, here. I don't do anything. Yeah. So you know, so I don't. I think the way we just did is the way we'll do it. So you'll say you're on death row, and I'll say what's your favorite meal. But everybody, uh, to me, why you got to be on death row to have a favorite meal though? Well, that was his thing. Like, it's your last meal. <laughs> well, it's your last meal. Because usually people pull out the, yeah, like, damn, it really is my last one. It's your last meal, so you got to throw down. You know what I mean? I mean, I might go big, like some baked beans and something to make me gassy. You know what I mean? <laughs> so they got a real big mess to clean up. Yeah, well, uh, when they put me down. But um, I think a lot of people go for that fried chicken. Man, I love fried chicken. And Shelly doesn't do it much, but when she does, man. Yep. It's always something fried, and it's always homemade. Is what people do, yeah. or people say. But yeah, I think that's what well, it does say a lot about people. Yeah, I mean, so, you know, food is is admiration. Mm-hmm. I think how big Thanksgiving is, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Everything everything revolves around food or drink. You know, and then depends on uh, why am I talking about this right this second? But <laughs> there it is, man. Because we, we, we went through up, dinner on, time, the last well. dinner, yeah. man. The, <laughs> yeah. last, the last, the last supper. supper. Yeah. yeah, something you do every day. Something you have to do every day. <laughs> I'm serious. You know what I'm saying? All you right. So you have to eat. eat every day. Oh yeah. Before you go, so you know, the colonel gets his cup on the hill. We're, we're gonna try to get some more things for people. And then he also brought us his uh, army national guard, which we'll, we'll keep. This be part of the set from now on. <laughs> and the hoodie. And the hoodie yeah. for us. Yeah. yeah. So if we if it's, if we're wearing this as a civilian, we, I mean, people can just like we don't have to. I mean, you see it as like an advertisement for the yeah, guard. Yeah, that's right. That's right. They can ask you, oh, are you in the guard? You say, no, but I know somebody who is, yeah. and uh, we can get them information. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, I don't want to get beat down when somebody says, hey, dude, you're not in the guard. <laughs> hey, can, I, I, can I bring you one last story now? This is going to trip you out, bro. I know you got to get ready to okay. go. Yeah. I want you to talk to me yeah. and my wife and all that. But, so remember, uh, and God rest his soul, because he, he was an American uh, icon in, in P-Town anyway. So two parts to this. Okay. I don't want to be a downer, but it's kind of sad. Osmore. Yeah, Greg Osmore. Lieutenant Greg Osmore. Yeah. So he loved Petersburg police, man. Yeah. I mean, and I he used to get on my freaking nerves, man. But the point was he had that Pathfinder pin for the CRT team. <clears throat> yeah. Which was an army. And I guess they still have Pathfinders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And uh I didn't know what it I mean, I honestly I didn't know what it was. But and then I was actually at an event one time in a class for for the department and, and I was jogging that morning before the class and this guy's like, Hey man, you're a Pathfinder? And I was like, uh <laughs> <laughs> and then he's like, I'm like, no, it's our team. He's like, what? He's like, what do you, what, what does that mean? Because he's like a military guy. He yeah. thought I was a pathfinder in the military. So I was like, that guy didn't like that at all. And uh, <laughs> so we got back. I asked Braswell, what the hell is a pathfinder? <laughs> I said, we need, we need to change the, because uh, that guy was not happy about that. Because mm. that, that's, you know, it's, a, it's actually a hard, yeah. hard school. That's right. 
But anyway, um, yeah, so that was that was legit. But you know, Osmar was the symbol of emotional intelligence, if you think about it. <laughs> he really was, man. He was. And that's it used to be Was that thing still record? I don't know. That's pretty cool. That used to be irritating <laughs> to me back in the day. Yeah, but he really was, man. Because he could show up, he'd be completely calm, right? Yeah. And and me, young, out of front out of control to some degree, very emotional about things all the time, and you're like why won't he, like, react to what's going on? These people are doing all this crazy stuff. Why won't he react? But he was always... He never did. He didn't. Just cool, yeah. cool, yeah. calm, collected. Yep. Had his little sayings. Yeah. <laughs> it's too bad. You know, and this is what I was going to tell you. With, and I, I probably shouldn't say it because I don't want to make... The, but it kind of goes back, and this is the last thing, is to the, um, the thin blue line stuff. So here's a guy that gave his whole life. I mean, he did everything he could, man, for dispatch, for the PD... And he really wanted to go out with, like, an honor. You know, he passed away, and he wanted to go with this big police funeral. Mm. But the department at the time was just kind of – I don't think it was during COVID. It might have been It might have been during COVID. But it was just like he didn't get the, the send-off that he should have got, man. You know mm. what I mean? They failed him on that, bro. Mm. That's too bad. Yeah, I, did, I didn't make it to his funeral. I didn't either. But I was here, but I still didn't go. But I luckily – he did uh, – funny story, my wife and I actually – did a change of command together. So I was battalion commander. She then took command of the exact same battalion oh, that dang. I was the commander of. He came. <laughs> he actually came to that ceremony. Oh, did he really? was there. Was, yeah, it was oh, pretty man. awesome. Yeah. I bet he was super proud. Yeah, man. he was. Wow. He, he never thought I would make it to where I'm at, that's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, that's the kind of guy he was, man. And yeah. he deserved a much better send-off than he got, man. That's too mm-hmm. bad. But the department, you know, they let him down. But anyway, I, I don't know end up with a bummer, but the fact that you told me that, I mean, that's what something he would do. Yeah. Now, he probably wouldn't have done that for me because we butted heads <laughs> a lot. But I'm sure I'm glad he did that for you. But uh, I wasn't part of the clique neither, bro. Me either. All right. Well, this will be on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and you can watch it on YouTube. And um, I think we'll have a part two coming yes, pretty all. soon. I'd be honored. Yeah. I appreciate it. Well, thank you for... Yeah, coming thanks, on. And yeah, it was great. Love spending time with you guys. Nah, man, awesome. nah, man, it means a lot to me, brother. No shit. Man, I mean, for too. real. And I'll consider the mustache. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All right, that's it, man. Peace. Peace. Thank you for listening to On the Hill. Like, subscribe, and follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. See ya.